like winning doesn't make you well, man. Mm. And we've been sold a bill of goods that if you just get on this track and run as fast as you can, you can earn or achieve or accomplish your way towards looking in the mirror and being happy with what you see. And that's just simply not how that works. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Trevor Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Tyson, and I'm so thrilled to have each and every single one of you here for this week's episode. This week, we have a national best-selling author and one of the leading voices in mental health and wellness with us. I think it'd also be kind of rude not to mention that the guy has not one, but two PhDs, and he's the first doctor to join us since Dr. Caroline Leaf, so this is awesome. He's the host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The Dr. John Deloney Show, uh, with our friends over at Ramsey Solutions. So everyone, please help me welcome Dr. John Deloney. John, welcome. What's up, T2, man? Appreciate Dude, that. We're here. I, I do have a lot of degrees, but I don't have a lot of friends, man. They usually work inversely <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, I um, I acknowledge the fact that you have two degrees and you have not only two degrees, but they're both PhDs. Like you've got to be a little smart to pull that off, right? No, dude, I have to have no social life at all. None. <laughs> Zero. How many years of schooling was that? Oh, man. Uh, I worked full time all the way through it. Also, wow. why I did that. So, um, I think the first one took about five years. Second one took about four and a half years, or something like that. And what exactly so are those years. in? The first one's in education. The second one's in counseling. Nice, nice. So you had quite the career there before yeah. you even got out of school. What did you do as you were uh, working throughout school? Um, I was working in colleges and universities as wow. you know, students, just. Um, and a researcher and a professor. I was a nerd, but I was also sitting with kids as they were Come on. young people and their families. And as they were trying to dig themselves out of some poor decisions or yeah. like mess walking through trauma and whatever other challenges they were having in their life. Well, you're obviously still doing that, but now on a national scale with your radio show, yeah. you know, as I was getting ready for this interview, I was looking back at some of the clips and People are going through dark stuff, especially man. during this pandemic, man. What are some of the stories that you've heard, like specifically over the last two years that a lot of people could probably relate with? Like, What's a common theme well, that you've seen? The common theme that I think underlines most everything is um, one would be loneliness, that people are disconnected and we've outsourced every sort of relational um, impulse we have to a digital medium. Yeah. And so even those we love, we text all day and say, I love you. We don't look at them and say, I love you. And we have a, we have a neurological co-regulation that happens that we just have thrown away by the wayside. Um, I think we also have, um, I wish I had a better word than this. It sounds so Terminator two or matrix, you know, but, um, our fear impulses have been hacked, man. Mm -hmm. And the media ecosystem is all about how can I stir you up at the, our primal levels to get us to buy stuff, to run from stuff, to be angry for stuff, to vote for stuff. And um, I think those two things, not having humans to balance great trials and tribulations in our life is just left us in a, in a state that our bodies are not prepared for. It's just not an evolutionarily is like, man, we don't have any reference point for where we are right now. Yeah. I also and, say this in 2019, a study came out from the Journal of American Medical Association. And I thought in my naivete, I was still working at a university as a chief student affairs officer. I thought this study was going to rattle the, the world. And it was this. In the United States, the average life expectancy had gone down for the third year in a row. And they were calling them diseases of despair. 
And so they were not murderers or whatever things a politician wants to subscribe to. It was organ disease failures like heart disease and liver disease, addiction and suicides. And they were calling them long tail suicides where people weren't pulling a trigger. They were just so lonely and they were Netflixing and Twinkie and fast fooding themselves to death on a long, on a long tail. And so brother, this was in 2019 before the whole pandemic set off. Yeah. We were already in a mess. And so, uh, I think the pandemic has just been an accelerant to what was already culturally was already bubbling up to the surface. And how wild is that, that we live in one of the most quote unquote connected generations, right? And everyone's lonely, like seeing someone on a screen, hugging someone in person, they're not the same thing. You can have a thousand Facebook friends and feel like no one's there. And especially all these influencers and such, they're like, I'm loved by everyone, but they go home and lay on their pillow and they're like, I literally have no one. I've worked and hustled my way to the top and I've screwed everyone over getting there. It's (laughs) fascinating. Yeah. Where did this start? Like, obviously like the invention of Facebook and not saying that like that was the main thing and not throwing their company under the bus, even though they've had some great PR lately, wink, wink. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just, there's a thread going on. It's a yeah. trend and we got to work ourselves out of it. Even in my personal life, I'm like, how can I be more connected? Like one-on-one with people hanging out with my family, hanging yep. out with friends. Like even when I don't want to, even when I'm anxious, even when I'm depressed, like those are the best times to be around people. Even if you're not saying anything just to feel that connection. Um, and I assume, or I know for a fact, a lot of people all over the world are struggling with the same thing, sure. but people call into your show on a daily basis. Yeah. They're hurting, man. And with you being one of the leading voices in mental health and wellness, not even in the country, I've looked at the ratings, like globally, you yeah. see it firsthand. Yeah. Was that ever something that went through your mind? Like, I'm going to do this on a national scale. Or was it like, all right, God, oh, I'm going to trust you for the small piece. And then we're going to keep going if it's your will. I, I, on the show, I've been having those conversations for the last 20 years behind closed doors, yeah. just with students and their parents or the number of parents who would fly down to be with their kid who was in, uh, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if a at a college, if a young person passed away, generally, I was the guy that made that call to the mom and dad. If a kid was in the hospital or had needed to go to a psych orders in jail, I was usually the guy who made that call. And so. Um, it wasn't rare for a parent to then walk, I walk through them, walk through that situation with them. And then a few months later, they may call back and say, Hey, I've got a question about my wife or Hey, me and my other kid are struggling. Do you have any, you know, so that's been happening for years. Now they just put it on the internet. I'll tell you this, man. I, I was pathological about it. I was on a think tank at a university, maybe about 10 years ago now. And part of that, we got to see behind under the hood at some of these tech companies as they were rolling some of these devices out and what they were doing. And I tell you what, man, it was apocalyptic to the point that I wouldn't be, I had one university I worked for after four years, my boss came to me and she said, we have to put you on the website because it looks like we don't have anybody in this role. You have to. And I was like, all right, fine. I do. I wanted to not exist on the internet. That was my goal in life. And then this, job came along and here we are obviously (laughs) that's working out great (laughs) for you i took a wrong (laughs) left turn somewhere brother but no this was absolutely had no ambition i wanted to be a metal singer for a long time and then that didn't work out so i had to get a a day job and so you're a metal head huh i do like me some some old punk rock and some old metal yeah name some of these bands out i need proof oh man give me some genres metalcore (laughs) 
Oh gosh, you're going old school metalcore. That's the old like iced earth when I was a kid and <laughs> Gwar and some of the what Napalm Death, some of the good ones. That's way back in the day. Dude, and uh on. it's a metalcore, dude. I did I was never into I was more into hardcores like the hate breeds and the life agonies okay. and the the uh what's the one with the train on it? It's one of my favorite ones of all time. I just lost him. Built to last. Who wrote the Built to Last record? I don't know. <laughs> Come on. Man. I'm 24, man. Stay in my <laughs> realm. I need to know who I would know. We talking Breaking Benjamin, Shinedown, Flyleaf. Oh, those uh, are all, those are all new. Those Girl. bands are all uh, like, those are warm hugs compared to the old bands, man. Back when Pantera used to play all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No. What is it? Did they get it? No, not Hammerfall. Who wrote the Built to Last record? It's got a, a train on it. It's a New York hardcore band. It's one of my favorites. It's so much a favorite. I can't even remember the name, Trevor. That's I wasn't even planning on talking about hardcore and you brought it up, which I is fascinating because the reason I was so excited about this interview is like we've had Ramsey uh, Solutions personalities on the yeah. show before and we had such a great time. But now we're talking about metalcore and you're like the <laughs> premier person to talk to about mental health <laughs> in Ramsey personality land. So I'm like, come on, we're just hitting all of the nails on the head here. That's excellent, man. I'm in. No. Man, but obviously, like, you have a book coming out, own your past, change your future, and I'm pumped for this message to get out, number one, because it's talking about mental health and the traumas that we go through and how you should not, like, you should own it, but don't let it take you on into your future, right? right? I'm curious to know where this message came from. Were there any particular stories, or was this something that you've had on your heart forever to talk about? Going back to your original, uh, you said something earlier that that struck a chord with me. Is really what the book's about. Um, that whether it's influencers or the folks, I was always the young kid in the room by a decade, especially in university life, right? And so I got a ringside seat into watching people get their dreams and then having it all melt around them. And I then I was my research was in the mental health, the mental wellness of lawyers and doctors and fancy preachers, those in our communities that, quote unquote, made it that other people go to. And then. I was not inoculated to my my I experienced it where, man, I'm running and gunning. We're making good money. I've got all these fancy titles. I'm doing a program at Harvard. I'm working full time. I'm getting a second Ph.D., all these fancy things got a new kid. My wife is, is, I thought my marriage was fine. And then dude, my body started saying, I'm out. Like I'm out. And I didn't have the words for it. I thought everybody else was crazy. And I found myself angry and raged out and popping awake at 2am, popping awake at 2am, at 2am, at 2am. And I tried to fill those holes with stuff and with action and with, well, just getting to the next thing. And with exaggeration, with all these other things that just kept swirling around it. Until finally, I got in a car one day and drove three hours away. I was such a paranoid mess by this point. And I drove three hours away to a buddy of mine who just, ha- I mean, happened to be an MD. And I went to his office and had no appointment. And he sat with me for a couple hours. And I just said, brother, I'm not okay. And I don't know what's happening to my body. Um, but there were, I remember the words, I feel like my head's on fire. And my body is reacting as though somebody's chasing me with an axe. But there is nobody. And I know it. And just this constant fight or flight 24 seven. And um, that was the first wobbly step towards getting well and healing my marriage and being a better dad. And then I ended up getting a second doctor. I just started, I had to know what happened to me. So I started chasing down 
the counseling, like what happened to me? What happened to my body? What happened to my relationships? And then uh, I joined, this was another deal. I didn't sleep well for many years. And so almost like fight club at nighttime, my other job was I'd run around with police officers as a crisis support, um, helping with death notifications, helping sit with people when they'd lost loved ones and things like that. And man, so this book's about 10 years in the making. It crystallized like winning doesn't make you well, man. Mm. And we've been sold a bill of goods that if you just get on this track and run as fast as you can, you can earn or achieve or accomplish your way towards looking in the mirror and being happy with what you see. And that's just simply not how that works. It works inversely to that. And so, um, yeah, that's what this book's about, man, is taking ownership of the, here's the other deal. Trevor, we've been told a couple of bill of goods. One is you are the worst thing that ever happened to you. That's who you are. You're a fill-in-the-blank survivor. That's all you'll be. Or you're the worst thing you ever said or did to somebody. You're the worst thing you've ever done. So you can, you know, the old, you can build a a, a, a thousand bridges, but you steal one thing. You're a thief, right? That's your identity now. And um, so... We either spend our life running from those stories that we were born into, the ones we were told, the ones that told us, hey, church is what this looks like, and this is what God thinks about you, and this is what, you know, our family, we just don't do math well in our family. Whatever the stories you were born into and the ones you were told, that over time becomes the stories you tell yourself. And those are the things that help you repeat generational trauma. They help you repeat the same madness that your dad got in, that his dad was in, that your great-granddad was in. And that's how the stuff just goes and goes and goes. And so the book is about how do you take ownership of the things that happened to you, the things that you've done, and then what's next? How do you then take that next wobbly step towards getting well, changing your family tree, right? Making things different from this point forward. And so it's both and. Dude, that's insane. And you said you brought up so many great points. And one of them, uh, now that you brought up math, I suck at math. I'm terrible at it. It's not my strong suit. Like, don't ask me to do any mathematics on this interview. Um, I don't want to get embarrassed. But another thing, like, you work a lot around trauma, or you have historically, and you still do to this day. That has to take a toll on you. That would have had to have something to do with it. But stress, like anxiety, panic attacks, suicidal ideation, these are all things that you see more often than not nowadays, which is very unfortunate. Ever since like the pandemic hit, it's like everybody got locked in and people that you would have never thought would have been struggling. You end up seeing on the news, taking their own life. Like people are lonely, people are isolated, people are depressed. And like you had that hope that we were getting out of the pandemic, you know, and then they kind of shut it down again. And we're kind of in this weird thing, like, all right, live nation is back doing events and you can go, but this, County's not doing this, that. And it's like, you don't know, like, it's like a bunch of different countries within the U.S. Like, oh, yeah. uh, In Tennessee, like, I'm in Tennessee quite a bit. You're not really wearing masks and such. You go to the West Coast, like, 100% different thing. And I did a lot of events this weekend in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, Totally different planet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Like, so many people have different precautions, they have different mindsets, they're being fed different information. A lot of that has to do with the loneliness that we're being fed into. And I love that you brought up like news cycles and stuff, because if you think about social media and look into the statistics and where ad money is spent, a lot of it's politically because the more divisive people are, the more ad revenue there is for like politicians, for Nike, like all these brands are making money on people like 
either having FOMO or wanting to find someone to be mad at. That keeps you on the algorithms. So with us living in such an algorithmic generation, where do you see this going? Or how can we be a part of change right now? Are there different techniques that like even your kids like, hey, don't be on social media for more than 10 minutes today. Like, <laughs> yeah, what would you say? Oh, man. So let me let me answer that this way. Imagine yourself 5,000 years ago, you and your small family, um, y'all are living in a cave and you open your eyes in the morning and you see a bear at the front of that cave. Your brain has just a few responses and it has chemicals that it dumps into your bloodstream to do one of a few things. To grab your family and run as fast as you can out the back door. To pick up a rock and get between that your family and that bear and fight it. Or you're going to run up and play dead and that thing's going to bite off one of your legs and drag you out of the cave and hide you under a pile of leaves. Let your family escape and hopefully you'll live to fight another day. Fight, flight, or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. And we fast forward 5,000 years later and our brains are still operating that same way. And so what I have to understand, what we have to understand is we cannot compete with an algorithm. It's better than us. It's faster than us. It learns quicker than we do. It just simply is. And I didn't. It, that doesn't bother me, right? It doesn't make me sad. It just doesn't is. I can't compete. And as you mentioned, the news's job is not to give us correct information. It's to get clicks. And how do they get clicks? It, it activates that fight or flight system. Here's another beautiful thing about that fight or flight system. When we saw a bear at the front of that cave, you know what our brain didn't want us doing? It didn't want us leaning down and going, oh, I wonder if that's a nice cuddly bear. I wonder if that's one of the hug bears. No, it wanted us to run, get out of there, right? So it actually unhooks your critical thinking skills. It unhooks them. It, it trades speed for accuracy. That, that looks close enough to a gun, I'm going to shoot, right? That looks close enough to a guy with a hatchet who happens to be just drinking a large Diet Coke. He's just in a shadow. I'm out of here, right? Or that happens to look like a guy I saw in a scary movie. So he's probably scary. I'm out of here. And dude, we can't compete with social media. It's just going to pump our brains full of more things to scare us, more things to get us riled up, more things to speed up our hearts, more neighbors of ours that we are going to, you're going to kill us, whatever the thing is. And so to answer your question about social media, Dude, my kids will not have it in my house, period. That is a scorched earth policy. Simply because I see the data behind closed doors, I'm reading the science data, and these kids are more likely to hurt themselves. They're more likely to be depressed. It does help connection. It does help. Uh, no, it helps communication. It doesn't help connection, right? You can transmit info, but you cannot connect. And now I'm watching my middle school son has told me, Dad, I'm so lonely when I'm at, sitting at the table and I don't know what they're talking about, but dude, I'm so glad I'm not in that whatever TikTok mess that they're all dealing with. And I don't know what they're even fighting about. Right. So um, it's, it, it's, it's, I'm playing a long game with them, but yeah, yeah. I'm scorched earth on that stuff. No way. It's just, it's, yeah. Hey, here's the thing. My granddad, they gave him cigarettes when he was a kid because it calmed kids down and it does. It helps. It actually helps. And then they were oh. like, Oh man, It'll kill you too. That's where we are with social media. It's just a few years old. In a few years, it will be, um, it will have to be much more regulated. And well, where I see this going, it's a mess, yeah. dude. It's, a it's mess. feeding into comparison, which is also oh. driving people to do things they wouldn't normally do. But fight or flight mode, FOMO, all of these things people are dealing with on a daily basis. Right. It's it used to be so taboo to talk about mental health, and now 
in the South, it kind of is, but everywhere else, it's more <laughs> open to be discussed. I remember yeah. when I started struggling with anxiety and panic attacks in 2016, it was still so taboo that I was afraid to admit it to myself. Mm. I didn't receive therapy and go through counseling until two years after I had let it engulf me. Yep. in this anxiety and this panic. Yeah. Um, I dropped all my dreams and started working for AT&T. And like, <laughs> you said it like, that's how bad things got. Well, like, I, I am, <laughs> no, well, I mean, well, I was going from like touring and doing all this fun stuff to like, yeah. that I had always dreamed of and doing stuff like this. Like, I don't know where I would have been if mm. I wouldn't have stopped doing it like right now. But I waited two years to receive help mm. and it was because I was afraid to admit it to myself. And I was just like, Oh, I can't do that. Everybody's like, why aren't you doing this anymore? It's like, well, I just don't want to. Yeah, That's a yeah, lie. Yeah, yeah. Like I, yep. I was compressed, you. man. And there was some fruit that came out of that. Like I was able to purchase my, by purchase, like get a mortgage on my house at yep. 19 because I had consistent income and such. Mm. And you know, it was still one of the darkest seasons of my life. On the outside, it looked like I was living the American dream, but on the inside, dude, I was go. deteriorating. Yeah. And, and so, hey, when, yeah. when we think of like anxiety, we've, we've taken, uh, and that's just a simple one, right? Mm -hmm. um, we as a culture have tried to solve anxiety. And here's the deal. All anxiety is, is an alarm system. It's just an alarm letting us know that our lives are either disconnected. We don't have people in our lives. We're not safe in our environment, or we're in a situation where we can't control what happens to tomorrow. Yeah. And all that is is an alarm. And so if we go about shutting off, it's like if your house was on fire and you ran in your kitchen and climbed up on a ladder and duct taped a pillow around your smoke alarm, that didn't take the fire. It shuts the alarm off. It doesn't, that didn't deal with the fire burning down. Right. And so, man, I I've stopped pathologizing. If, if somebody's depressing, if somebody's anxious, Man, that's a that's a signal. Tell me about your life, right? Tell me about what's going on. What relationships are out of whack? What's going on with your diet and your food and your like what what's happening in your world that is making your body respond? Because our bodies are pretty intuitive, man. They're pretty smart. And we've just created an entire ecosystem that shuts down our bodies and lets companies and governments tell us what is best for us. Yeah. And you wrote about this in redefining anxiety. That's it's right. like that's right. there are there's so many resources available and I feel like I wouldn't be doing this interview any justice to not talk about the financial aspect of it. Oh, when man, people man. get lower in their financials, like they get, safe. Yeah. yeah. You feel uneasy. I can't provide, I can't do this. I'm not yep. on track to be able to support my family, this, that, and the other financial stresses can trigger oh, man. all of the above. And I believe you cannot be mentally whole. Cause we look at the, one of the cornerstones of mental health, is mental wellness is autonomy. Mm -hmm. I am free to move about the country. I'm a free, yeah. I'm a, a, I'm able to participate in what comes next in my life. It's a cornerstone of mental health. And if you owe somebody money, you, you, AT&T decides your mortgage company decides your student loan servicers decides what you do tomorrow, not you because you owe them money. Right. And so, yeah, dude, when, when you owe somebody money, when your finances are low, when you're, struggling with, with in poverty, you can't be, your body's going to sound every alarm it has because it's not safe anymore. Yeah. What are some steps that people could take to get out of debt? Like the right mm. way when it comes to mental health, like I said, like people just get so triggered and I can't like everything starts running through their mind. Worst case scenario, I'm going to lose a house. I'm going to lose a car. Yeah. I'm going to do this. But for that person that is watching or listening to this, there is a way to do it 
the smart way, like not just going like, that's a very bad analogy, not putting the foot to the floor on it, but (laughs) how can we slowly start to integrate these healthy mindsets to get us out of these ruts? When it comes to mental health, you have to, when it comes to, yeah, your relationships and deciding I'm going to live a well life, I think you've got to own your stories. You've got to be honest with yourself about what's happened to you, what you've done, what's happened, what you were told growing up, the truths that you were told. Uh, maybe people fed you full if you grew up in a racist household and they told you that other people who didn't look like you or, or worship like you or whatever like you, they're the reason that you're miserable, right? Or maybe you grew up in a home that told you, you know, in our house, we don't play that kind of music or in our house, we, like whatever you were told, you got to own those stories. And then you've got to acknowledge reality. And for many of us, when it comes to finances, we were told you have to go to college, which means you have to take out six figures of loans. You have to drive a new car because that's the only safe car. So you have to go get a loan on that car. You have to buy a house at 19, right? You have to, these stories that we were born into, you got to own them. And then you have to acknowledge reality. And the reality is, yes, I was abused. So now what? Yes, I hit somebody in the mouth when I was a kid. Yes, I used to make jokes that now I've come to learn to hurt people. I've done these things. These things have happened to me and I'm here. Um, When it comes to finances, you have to own, I've done dumb things, right? I bought cars on, on that I couldn't afford. I've lived in places I couldn't afford. I've, I have put things on credit cards that I shouldn't have bought because I didn't have the money to. And then I got to acknowledge reality. How much debt do I actually have? And when it comes to stories about we've grown into, I tell people to write them down, write them all down, write them down, get them out of your body and onto a piece of paper. Same with your debts, man. You got to get all of your debts in order, smallest to greatest on a piece of paper and just look at the reality. Whoa, this is how much I owe somebody else. Some people have 13 credit cards. I was a part of a debt-free scream earlier today on Dave's show at $100,000 in unsecured debt, credit cards and cars. Just that's a lot of money. And they had to write them down. And wife, she wrote them down. Um, She'd been the one paying bills. She said, we wrote them down. And my first thought was, I guess we're getting divorced. He's going to leave me. And that started their journey back together, right? So you got to own that reality. And then from there, man, you got to get a group of people. You got to get connected with people. And then you got to be about changing your actions and changing your thoughts. Come on. And what are some of the resources that Ramsey Solutions have to help you get through that journey? Really, wherever you happen to be, if you're a young kid and we have a teen entrepreneur kit all the way up to Dave just wrote a best-selling book, number one best-selling book, Baby Steps Millionaires on if you will just walk this path, I don't care where you are, you can end up with a million dollar net worth and it's not voodoo and it's not Bitcoin and it's not selling whatever NFTs or whatever Beanie Babies or whatever it happens to be. It's simply just grind it out the old fashioned way and do it the right way. It's going to be sustainable. And in the process, you'll get your community back, your marriage back, your friendships back, your health back. And we're playing a long game here, man. Dave likes to tell a story that he reads the tortoise and the hare every year. And every year the tortoise wins every single, you know, every single time. And so it's just playing the, doing the right thing over and over. It's, it's just repetition, right? Yeah, it, it totally is. And we're, we're not even in an interview about that. The only reason I bring it up for is Ramsey plus has been a huge uh, success for me to use, mm, like being awesome. able to map everything out, it automatically tracks it for you. And the fact that like, you don't have to buy like a hundred dollars starter kit anymore. Like it's all oh, I guess on your I should, phone. <laughs> I guess I should pitch that the yeah the uh, the flagship product Ramsey Plus right and the every dollar app that that helps yeah. thanks for that 
but yeah, I mean, it's just, it walks alongside you. It's the app that me and my wife use. And I mean, I did my taxes last night. I hit send and got my refund um, sent out for um, with using Ramsey taxes product. So there's a million different products you can use here. Yeah. And uh, kind of to segue back into the book in the first chapter, you lay out what you call the path to being well, can you map some of those steps out for us? And yeah, I, I just walked through them. I think it's important to note this when it comes to, I don't get out of debt. There's a path. You do this step and then that step and then that step and then that step. The challenge with wellness and relationships is right when you get your feet underneath you, you get a call that mom's got cancer. And right when you get home from going to visit her, your girlfriend says that her old boyfriend's called back, right? So life doesn't happen in a linear fashion like that. And so it, it's instead of five, you know, the five easy steps to lose 40 pounds, it's not like that. It's more, here are some principles that you will go back to over and over again for the rest of your life. And if you'll internalize these principles, um, it will guide the rest of your decision-making for the rest of your life. But it goes back to, you got to own your stories. You've got to acknowledge reality. You have to, have to, have to get people in your life around you. You can't do life by yourself. And then you have to do the hard work of changing your thoughts and changing your actions. And you're going to do that over and over again for the rest of your life. Come on. And to kind of wrap up here for someone that's out there, maybe they're struggling with career maybe they're trying to figure out what it is exactly they're supposed to do in life, whether they're supposed to go invest in college and get in debt or whether they're supposed to just go to trade school and such. If they're feeling super discouraged and the world's kind of shifting them in nine different directions, what would that one message from Dr. John Deloney be to them? Man, number one, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Number two, it gets better. Hang in there. Number three, reach out to somebody. Most of us don't believe we're worth talking to. And most of us don't feel comfortable talking to other people now. And reach out to somebody, whether that is a um, professional, whether it's a counselor. And I, I've partnered with the counseling company, BetterHelp, to help people take away your excuses. Like You can pick up a phone and call somebody and they'll be there right then. Um, or it can be as simple as, hey, dad, I need to talk to you about when you were 22. And I know we yell at each other and we're back and forth and you're an old man and whatever, but I'm feeling pretty scared about where I'm at right now. And you'll be surprised. Your dad may say, yeah, dude, I was really scared too. Um, or if you've got an older person in your life that you trust that's 10, 15 years ahead of you down the road and just say, man, I'm just nervous. They can go. Yeah, I was too. Um, when I was your age, 9-11 happened. When I was your age, I was just getting back from Vietnam or what, how, where, whoever you're talking to. But there's something about generational wisdom that's a gift. And we just have thrown it all out for new shiny stuff. Yeah. Um, but I got a group of friends that are 10, 15 years older than me that are worth their weight in gold times two times to the fifth power, right? Come on. Um, oh, I can always check in with and see, am I crazy? And they're like, yeah, you probably should back it down. Two, right? <laughs> just take about 20% off and slow it down. Yeah, I love that so much, man. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you had to rush over here from no, brother, I wouldn't miss this. You are awesome, man. I'm grateful for you. Uh, Thank you so much. And for everybody listening or watching this uh, right now, John's new book is available at the description below. Own your past, change your future. Go pick it up. Go check out all the resources, which we're going to link in the description below, along with um, Ramsey Plus, along with BetterHelp, along with Every Dollar. All of that will be in the description below because these are all products that I sign off on, that I have a stamp of approval on, and that I actively use in my everyday life. So I'm not just feeding you some sort of snake oil. 
Um, the Ramsey team has really changed millions of lives with these resources, and I believe they can you as well. So, John, thank you so much for being here, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next Dude, week. Brother T, think, hey, before you leave, yeah. what's one band I need to check out? August Burns Red. Oh, I, I know them. They're fantastic. Give me another one. Come on. Memphis Mayfire. I'm on it. Never heard of them? I, I will now. Memphis Mayfire. The protest, Lacey Sturm. Dude, we can go for hours. Why you do that now? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the hunt for good new bands, man. Come on, man. I love Come it. On. Thank you, my brother. Memphis yep. Mayfire. They're next. <laughs> hey, I'm grateful for you, Trevor. Appreciate you, man. You too, man. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.